Hello, I'm Huron Zani, and thank you for joining me for more Barack Now. Barack Now. Barack Now. Welcome, Welcome to Barack Now. Now. On this podcast, we explore the music, people, and period instruments you may be discovering for the first time with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra and our digital stage, Brandenburg One. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to the Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. As always for Baroque Now, I'm joined by one of the brilliant musicians and artists bringing Baroque music to life with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. Today, you're in for a treat and even an avant-première, making her Australian debut and a first-time visitor to the country, no less, guest soloist Eleanor Fry lives and breathes period music with a passion I'm sure you'll find infectious. Hello, Eleanor. How are you going? And thank you for joining me. Hi, Hugh. I'm, I'm great. Thanks. My pleasure. Now, I have to admit, I'm thrilled to be sharing the microphone with you because I've been quite inspired by several of the, the interviews and videos you've been releasing. Um, you know, you, you're becoming quite the hip communicator, as it were. I just like to talk about the things I'm interested in. It's um, I really could talk for hours and hours about the history of cello, um, composers I like, um, ideas that inspire me. I mean, just there's a lot to say. Well, that's what we're here to obviously yeah. discuss today. <laughs> um, but as this is your first time in the country, and welcome to Australia, Thank you. Um, it, perhaps you could tell our audience about who you are and, and what do you do? Sure. Um, so I'm both Canadian and American, and I, I live in Montreal. And, you know, every year is a little different, but it seems, if I could summarize in general, I sort of travel around, I play a lot of concerts, and I also teach. So I'm a Baroque cello professor at McGill University, which is a wonderful university, and I also um, teach a bit at the University of Montreal. And I also, um, you know, teach some other people in different different ways and I give master classes so you know teaching is a big part of my life of gi giving passing on what I do to the next generation and yeah. for those who have been to Montreal they would probably be familiar with all of the McGill University buildings it's it's amazing yeah. how it's a great place yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really great university but so but that's you know that's one side and then basically what I do is when I play concerts um my main interest is to play the music that I like or that I'm inspired by. So I don't, that everyone has their priorities. Like some people, they want to play with their best friends and some people, they want to make a really good fee and some people, it matters where the concert is. But for me, like my main priority is what pieces I play. So I kind of every year try to play a higher and higher percentage of exactly what I think is interesting and maybe I give my energy to something lesser known or um, music that's appreciated but underplayed. And I try to make an influence on um, the rest of history. So I feel that I, with my energy and my concerts can sort of change a little bit the course of what cello repertoire is. And maybe over the next hundred years, it will go in a slightly different direction 
thanks to some of my efforts. Well, so, yeah. I, I think that's an incredible thing to to want to do and it's achieve. Ambitious. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. the word for sure. And and in this program, uh, this upcoming program, Spanish Steps, then. So tell us about what you're going to be playing and um, and sure. about that music. So. There's mostly Baccarini, and then there's one piece by San Martini. And I will play one piece by Baccarini and one piece by San Martini. And they're both cello concertos. Um, and Baccarini is somebody that a lot of people who like classical music and, and Baroque or Galant or, or early music, let's say, have heard of him and generally has a good reputation, but maybe hasn't reached that you know, top five at upper echelon, which is totally fine. And um, I just am putting my energy into playing as much of his music as possible. Sometimes I'll organize a tour um, where I play like only Baccarini's chamber music. And I, I'm trying to work my way through a bunch of the concertos. And it's just a composer I like. And I'm, I want to, you know, bring it to Australia if possible. Probably there hasn't been a oh, concert dedicated to Baccarini very often in Australia. Well, that, a few that's times, right. Maybe. Well, we've we've yeah. had the pleasure, and Brandenburg audiences who have been with us for a, for a long time um, will remember Hidemi Suzuki coming out and okay, playing nice. some of his wonderful music as well. And uh, those audience members that have been with us for a while will be familiar with some of this um, some of this music. But um, but of course, uh, tastes and and the way that we we can perceive this music and sort of enjoy this music changes over time. Sure. And so some of those uh, concerts are almost 20 years ago now. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> a lot has changed in the last 20 yeah, years. It would be impossible to imagine the Brandenburg Orchestra uh, not playing Bach for 20 years. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's I mean, right. It, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, or other important composers, Handel or Vivaldi. I mean, we love these composers and I'm like a huge fan of Vivaldi, for example, and Bach is my favorite. Um, but I think, you know, if I could help the world uh, by saying, I want to play Baccarini. And they say, okay, let's do it. And then it just means it gets programmed more. People hear it, they ask for it. Um, and it just could become a bigger part of our collective uh, appreciation of music, have a bigger space. And so yeah. which cello concerto of Baccarini's are you going to be approaching for this program? So I'll play the B-flat major concerto, which has strings and two horns. And it's a very famous one, in fact, and it's one that was um, that is known because it was made in uh, to a version in the 19th century. A cellist named Grutzbacher, Grutzmacher, um, made a kind of pastiche where he took uh, the second movement, the slow movement, from a different cello concerto, and then he like arranged some of the passage work from this concerto to make it like sound harder, but it actually was easier, you know, et cetera, and kind of made his own version. And then that's what cellists played for about. 100 years. So, for example, in 1960s or 70s, Jacqueline Dupre or some of the famous cellists that recorded the, the quote, Baccarini Cello Concerto, this was that piece. But it's not its original version, and there's a lot of, you know, maybe a bit junking up of the piece. So what we'll do is the original version, in the same as the manuscript that Baccarini wrote, which is plenty fine at alone without any changes yes and, and there's yeah. even horns i mean mm -hmm. quite quite unusual i think a lot of cello concertos or a lot of concertos that um that our audiences are familiar with don't tend to include horns like that and no. even it's just the horns it's not like we have a another wind it's or brass element and yeah and flutes or anything yeah it's like a, a little color um that brings sort of a bit of grandness to the the piece yeah. Uh, it's a fantastic piece. 
Oh, I, I totally whole, yeah. wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Um, so, of course, Boccherini's music lands in a, in a sort of odd musical, uh, an odd part of music history. He's sort of in between uh, stylistic trends and also was isolated in, for a, a long part of his career mm-hmm. too. Uh, but, uh, but perhaps you could tell us about the way that he writes um, for the cello and, and for the cello concertos in, in particular. What sort of yeah. things do we, do we tend to hear from Herr Boccherini? It's interesting to be the cello player in a cello concerto of Bachmann's music because he was a cellist himself. And so my relationship with the piece is quite physical. It's gonna, it's different than the listener or the other orchestra players. So a lot of the passages um, are, it's like he's communicating to me what he wants in terms of technical choices. So your thumb would go here and then you do this whole passage continuing in the th- with the thumb stable. Or this uh, other passage um, is about a kind of bow technique that is very, you know, I, I would understand. And so it's like we're having our own little conversation and that's really fun for me to sort of be in this physical technical world. And then outside of that, the music itself, the effect is quite... Um, it's quite charming, and there are a lot of uh, sensual and beautiful moments. But I think the thing that I like the most about Baccarini is his ability to kind of suspend time, and he kind of circles around and repeat. He has l- little repetitive cells where you kind of have this stasis in a good way, and then that uh, sort of gets you in the moment, and then you c- the, when it moves on, it's very effective. Mm. And I think that happens a lot. You sort of stay in one place and then leave that um and uh, another thing that you could think about is that his his older brother and older sister uh were both very accomplished dancers they were they had big careers and they were the money makers of the family well he and his father would play in the ballet orchestra or the opera orchestra that his sister and brother danced in and um so there's a sense of periodicity and movement and s- and motion and step but in a often a very gentle and physically sensual way um so i hope that kind of gives you a sense of his sound world but it's hard to describe music oh yeah. no uh, apparently it is yeah. very hard to describe yeah. music which is probably why music podcasts are so popular yeah because everyone's <laughs> struggling with the, the same yeah. problem um is yeah. there a musical example then that perhaps would um would describe this a little bit better well y- we could listen to this second movement of his cello concerto in G major, G480. Um, it's a slow movement um, that just has a very long, slow melody that's quite sad, but very pretty. Uh, we'll try that out. Um, yep. So this is obviously going to be featuring yourself uh, mm-hmm. uh, on the cello. Uh, perhaps you could tell us the band that also that you're playing with here. So this is a live concert um, from a group in Montreal called Galileo, and it was a couple of years ago. I can't remember exactly when, uh, but it's the only time that I played a concerto, a Baccarini concerto, and they happen to have microphones there. So this is your only chance. <laughs> <laughs> I hope someday to make a real recording. But So this is just a little... Um, Side side of the concert recording, nothing yep. official. This is an yeah. avant premiere for the, oh. uh, the the album development yeah, uh, exactly. for the Boccherini Cello yeah. Concertos. Yeah, so Eleanor Fry uh, playing here in uh, Montreal with Galileo.
So I'll bring that down, Eleanor, so we can maybe um, talk a little bit more about this music. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, you were using the word sensual and, and that sort of s- these sorts of sensitivities and um, to dance as well. And I can imagine some beautiful slow dance or something being, you know, a, a, a featuring as well on stage at the same time as this music being played itself. Mm-hmm. So lyrical, um, you know, Very. without being overtly brash or anything like that as well everything seems to happen in in the right way the voice leading is is wonderful yeah he he's an incredibly skilled composer it's it's quite impeccable and yet it doesn't feel too formalistic or rigid that feels spontaneous and uh um, instinctual um i like i like the fact that a lot of his music for cello was not published. It's um, music that was a vehicle for his own career. So he started playing concertos at maybe say the intermission of an opera or an alternate series maybe when he was in Vienna or when he was passing through Paris or um, traveling around and building his reputation as a virtuoso and composer. And so his cello music was for him and his colleagues for him to um, be able to perform. And that's a bit different than, say, his um, published music or some of his chamber music and symphonies and things like that that were um, part of his job w- when he became court composer in Madrid and he also was court composer in Berlin even though he didn't live there. It just was from afar. So he had to produce kind of um, official compositions for people. Also very charming and nice, but it has, for me, a different kind of feeling because... The cello music was for him in his hands, so I sort of feel like I can enter into his world even more. Now, sometimes it can go one of two ways where you have a, a composer who's also the performer and they're writing for themselves. One is that they'll notate maybe very little of what they're doing, and another is that they'll notate everything. And mm-hmm. um, interestingly, in someone like Johann Sebastian Bach's uh, manuscripts, uh, especially the, I'm thinking of the Sonatas and Partitas for violin, you know, so much detail is there. And yeah. that's because he was literally so intimately aware of what he was doing and why he wanted to do those things that he mm-hmm. expressed them on the page. But how is it with Boccherini's manuscripts? Maybe you could tell us about what he would put on the page. It's mostly there. And there were a few concertos that were actually sort of published. That means they were engraved and made available to other people. So we actually have an engraved and published cadenza that he wrote as an example for G483. It happens to be that one. So you can see kind of the length and style that he would have suggested for a cadenza. Um, So basically I'm playing what's just that he wrote. And then the only thing I'm really adding is my own cadenza. So all three movements of, of the Baccarini Concerto in B flat have space for a cadenza, so I have three cadenzas that I wrote. So you'll you'll hear a lot of Eleanor's music as well in a in a funny way. But I try to go in his in his vein. And how yeah. does it work? How do you go about writing a cadenza? What do you do um, to get into that space and that zone? Well, as we have said since the moment we met, Hugh, you know that I'm a pretty big nerd, and so are you. So I've I've thought this through. I read articles. I tried to understand the way people thought about cadenzas in the 18th century. Um, but so I have that side where I tried to do the work to see what could what could be something that maybe Baccarini would have written. I looked at his cadenza. I looked, I um, 
I thought it through, let's say. But then there's another side of me that says we're in 2023. There's um, a kind of culture around performance now that's a bit different. We're in a different world. There's an expectation around cadenzas that's a little bit different. Uh, they serve a different role now. And so I try to make a combination of what I feel is um, going to please the audience, going to please me and my voice and my vision for music that happens hundreds of years later and some of the understanding of the historical performance practice and I kind of make a little co combination and that so maybe it's a little tiny bit longer than a, a say typical 18th century cadenza um, it's not still not very long um, compared to what a lot of cellists have made these super long <laughs> insane cadenzas well that, also maybe yeah. because they've been yeah. waiting for so long to have the concerto yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, so I tried to my version is just what I feel is uh, right for me now, as well as taking a lot of ideas from what I've read and what I've heard and researched. So that's sort of my process. Um, and I, so I use a couple themes. I also um, do um, some kind of harmonic sequences. I try to have a bit of virtuosity. And I also try to play things that please my hands and my ear. So, I, for example, I love berriolage, which is a... I think it's one of the beautiful, most beautiful things a string instrument can do. So I happily include a little of that in my cadenzas, uh, things like that. That's, yeah. a, uh, that's a fantastic description. Yeah. I mean, Good. I think I can't wait to hear it okay. now. I <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't, uh, listeners, have a recording of uh, Cadenza to play for you, but you're just going to have to come to the concert um, and, yeah. and see it for yourselves live mm -hmm. because there's nothing like a live concert and every single performance will be it's different. It's the best. It's the best. Live concert is like what I live for. <laughs> yeah. Now there's another composer on this program, uh, Giovanni Battista Sammartini, not mm. to be confused with his brother, Giuseppe. Uh, Giuseppe. Yeah. Um, please tell us, Eleanor, about Sammartini and, and why he also is, is featuring in Spanish Steps. Yeah, it actually, it's a really perfect um, sort of story. I, one of the things I love about being a Baroque cellist is that all these stories of people's lives and how, um, how they might have, I like to put them in the same room. I like to sort of imagine how so-and-so could have influenced so-and-so in some way. And that really just gets me excited. So this really works because when Baccarini was a teenager, he already had a pretty big career. He played his like first cello concerto um, in a major church in Lucca when he was a teenager. And he went with his father to Vienna to be a, an opera orchestra cellist and sort of you know, just gain money, earn money. And uh, so from Luca, and he also studied in Rome. So from, let's say, the west coast of Italy going to Vienna, you can pass Venice, obviously, but you can also pass through Milan, a certain trajectory. And there was one summer that we know he passed through Milan and he spent some time playing in San Martini's orchestra. So he probably studied some composition. He played under him and learned a bit about music from him or maybe just experienced music with him. So um, I just like to put uh, put them in the same room and imagine them influencing each other or mostly San Martini influencing Baccarini. And San Martini also s had a similar role in the lives of some other much more famous composers like Gluck, J.C. Bach, and even Mozart passed through Milan to spend time with San Martini. So this is a, a person that is not a household name and yet 
made a, an indelible stamp on the history of music. Mm. Um, I, I, I like to say like all roads lead to San Martini, and I think yeah. it's kind of true. Well, yeah. it's also the the trajectory that you've you've mapped out for us, going from Vienna and then following the basically the the river and the road all the way to to Milano. Um, you know, mm -hmm. takes you through some of the towns where the instruments that they were playing on were being made, like Cremona, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you know, and so so uh, previously on the program, I've spoken a little bit about uh, Cremona with Dr. Alan uh, Alan Maddox. It's just fascinating to think that so much activity obviously was happening at that time and that someone like Samatini, who was n a director of eight different uh, churches, Incredible. you know, uh, with such a huge influence on, on the music making of that time would be almost unknown to most, uh, most households these days. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned the instruments because, um, people were exploring and there wasn't really standardization as we have today, post-industrial. Now we have factories and things are sort of cookie cutter, but back then, there was a m bigger variety of what was a great instrument and what, what size it should be. Um, and we know that Baccarini, when he died, the inventory of his possessions, he had a, quote, big cello and a small cello. And maybe he had this small cello for, for solo pieces or concertos, which often go quite high. Um, and so this concerto that I'm playing by San Martini is either for violin or for violoncello piccolo or a sm this small cello. Um, which I have brought to Australia. I have two cellos, and this one that I'm playing the San Martini on is tuned like a violin. It's G-D-A-E, so it's a fifth higher than a typical cello. It's smaller, and it has a sort of tenor color as opposed to the bigger cello, which has a maybe more baritone range and voice. And so I could imagine perhaps Baccarini could have played this, or not, but it's it's how I'm choosing to play this piece, and it has a very violinistic kind of virtuosic color that's so different from the Baccarini, and yet maybe they they were in the same room, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. that's right, mm -hmm. and in fact maybe uh, that uh, that cello that he had in his inventory, because there's absolutely no way of knowing really uh, mm -hmm. at what point he he got it, um, but um, but maybe it's an instrument that he saw as well, um, and that was mm -hmm. being used by someone. Um, probably not Samartini, seeing as he was more of a violinist than uh, than, a, than a cellist, but it's definitely a string player. Maybe someone else in the orchestra might have had something sure. similar. And and as you say, the makers who were trialing and sort of eventually a standard would would form would come come to to be. But the makers were were willing to sort of put together. And why not have a cello that's essentially tuned a fifth higher, mm -hmm. so to have some of the resonance of the larger bodied instrument, but at the same time. Uh, be able to exactly. play very very comfortably in in a sort of a, a high tenor range. Well, think of the uh, think of the family of voices. You have the violin is maybe equivalent of a soprano, and the viola or s uh, would be the alto, and then uh, the cello is this baritone, and the bass uh, contrabass is below any what human voices do normally. But they we're missing the tenor. What instrument is the tenor? And yeah. this is a kind of uh, hole that I'm interested in filling and exploring myself as a cellist with this, quote, tenor violin. Um, saying tenor violin or violoncello piccolo, they're, they're anachronistic terms. They weren't using that. But I think just saying small cello uh, works fine, and it 
you know, explaining that it's in the tenor range tune GDAE. So I've been having a lot of fun playing violin music with this instrument. Why don't we put a little bit of this on to be able to hear the sound of the instrument as well? And then we can talk a little bit about more where where your instrument came from, how it came to be that you came across this, mm-hmm. this wonderful uh, instrument in the first instance, and then how you went about getting one, because they're not very, <laughs> they're not very common. Not at all. So perhaps, Eleanor, you could tell us, um, so in terms of the Sammartini Concerto, what are we going to be hearing on the program so we'll hear his concerto in c major and there's three movements allegro and dante allegro so we'll listen to a recording i made um about a year ago that came out in april of 2022 and it was just nominated for juno which is like a canadian grammy and it's with a group in canada called rosa baroca and i wanted to with this with this album to explore the different sizes of cellos. So there's two concertos on the small cello and two concertos on the big cello. And just so that the listener could hear the different colors and appreciate the kind of breadth of Italian music for that features the cello. Um, yeah. <laughs> This is such fabulous music. It's so like chipper and fun and like explosive and yeah. 
that's that's right all of those things and more and and the the sound of your instrument is is f- like when i first heard it i wasn't quite sure what i was hearing what is that yeah y- yeah it's not a viola it's not a cello it's it's really just this other voice and i'm having so much fun you know just exploring this myself i i searched the world i put a couple emails out to some stores or places that sell instruments and said i'm looking for this and you know i sort of took me a while to find one that i wanted to be high quality and an original and i got an email back one day from a, 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 a luthier in germany in cologne who said i've actually just had an instrument that fits that description come in and we think it was intended for gdae tuning and not necessarily just an instrument for a child or something and um, it sounds really good like that. And so I have a colleague in Cologne, actually, um, I, I publish a lot of sheet music. So it's actually one of my, my editors um, is a cellist there. And I asked him to go try it and tell me if it was like worth it before I go and try it. And he said it was great. And so, yeah, I bought this original um, and you know have been playing it ever since you hear it now. Um, and there's not too many people who have an interest in this size or type of cello, but I think, you know, seeing me do some projects and a, two or three other people are, are sort of doing a few projects like this. And so maybe it'll start to be one of the things that young cellists add to their list of tool in their tool bag. You know, they mm-hmm. might play five string cello. Um, they could play an underhand bow grip. They could play with different postures, different tunings. And then this sort of tenor in cello could be in, in that list of possible skills and instruments to have. And yeah. Well, a part of the conversation I had um, uh, earlier this month, actually, with Dr. Alan Maddox was, um, and you'd love Alan, by the way, okay, you, guys, nice. you guys would get on really, really well, w- was just about that in terms of the inventiveness of the concerto form, that a part of it was sometimes that novelty of a, a new instrument, something that, uh, you know, and when Vivaldi was writing a concerto for bassoon, it wasn't a very usual thing to do. Uh, so it was I- embedded in the culture of, of, of how a concerto was or what a concerto was. And uh, and this sort of bow, an extra bow to your string. I, I mean, uh, when I was listening to this for the first time, I was thinking of a five-string cello maybe or something like mm-hmm. like that, which sort of almost – but it's a different resonance and it's not quite the same thing at all. Yeah, because – if you have a C string, uh, which is the lower string, it's quite a low pitch, and you really need a big enough body to make that string sound good. I mean, you could have a super small instrument and put a C string on it. You can put double winding silver and all the... Uh, but fundamentally, there's a difference in tone and in sound, and some people like it and some people don't. I don't like it. I don't like the sound of, say, this violoncello da spalla or these super small instruments with a C string. I think you need a certain length um, in order to have a, a, a quick response, a resonant, a beautiful tone. And tone really matters to me. So I'm always trying to find the instrument that's like the r- exact right balance of its characteristics. So I'm going to bring out the best of that instrument. Um, so a five-string cello is... A, uh, another important uh, part of the cello family, um, but it has this lower in- string and it needs to be a bit bigger. Um, but if it's too big, then you can't 
make the f fifth string, the E string, the high string, reach the pitch E, or it will break, especially with gut. Um, so it's a kind of a difficult balance with the five string to find the right size and the right resonance and everything. Plus, there's five strings, which means there's three in the middle, and you get a little confused and you start bumping into each other. And with just four, that means there's two on the outside and two in the middle. It's a little easier to maneuver bow-wise in, in some, some ways. And um, it just has strengths and weaknesses, both of them. There's, they're not better or worse. It just one instrument ha has these qualities, another instrument has other qualities. So with this four-string small cello, um, like you said, it doesn't sound exactly like a five-string. It has its own ability to kind of play virtuosically because there's just four strings. It's smaller than the five-string, a tiny bit, so I can reach a bit farther with my left hand and stretch these these big things that violinists do quite easily. I'm a little more able to deal with the virtuosity of violin playing. So it kind of has, it takes from me different um, skills and it lets me explore my violin side of my personality and go in that direction. And another instrument will demand a whole different set of skills and um, characteristics. So tell yep. us a little bit about the repertoire then. So I, I imagine there's very limited repertoire for this uh, instrument out there, which may be a part of the reason why there, uh, there aren't so many cellists playing it in the first place. But, but tell us about what is there and how this concerto fits into that body of repertoire. Um, well, sometimes what you have to do is try to look for evidence in the music for what pieces could be meant for this instrument. So... For example, if you see a music, a, a piece that's a probably a cello concerto, um, or a, let's say a concerto for a lower string instrument, and it never ever touches the C string, it just doesn't use the C string. Well, then that's a great excuse to use this instrument. Um, but I can't. I don't want to say to the public, this piece was meant for this. That's what they intended. I I can't prove that. I'm just using evidence with iconography, you know, written history. Um, but I'm also just, I'm creatively exploring history with my own sense of things. Um, so I think it works well and I think it's a great solution, but I don't, I can't prove that's what they had in mind. Um, and so there's a, a concerto by Tartini, Giuseppe Tartini, uh, for originally it's called Viola, but actually his best friend Vandini was a cello player, who was also called a viola player, and we, we have many pictures of Vandini. We know he played cello, and some of them show a quite small instrument. So the um, terminology is a really complicated topic, and instruments that look like cellos are called violas, they're called violones, they're called violonchinos. They're all sorts of names that seem to belong to a similar-looking instrument. So in any case, this concerto by Tartini doesn't touch the C-string, and it uh, some of the themes work super great when you just go up a fifth and you play. Um, uh, it's just like the, you'll ha they'll play on the A string and then the same thing will happen on the E string and it's like the same th theme. You can use the same fingerings. So it really fits this exact GDAE tuning. And so I that's one piece that I perform on this kind of cello. And then another way that I expand the repertoire because I did pay a lot of money for this instrument. I don't want to just play two pieces. Um, I just play violin music. So I can play Bach, sonatas, um, uh, more Tartini, different things that I like. 
for the violin, but an octave lower on the cello. And sometimes it doesn't work so great, and sometimes it works great. So I'm still exploring. This is not um, something I've spent, you know, 20 years doing. It's still kind of new, and I'll keep trying to expand the, the, the repertoire. Perhaps we could listen to some of that Tartini as well, because um, I know you've got uh, you've got it on on your album, early Italian uh, cello concertos, and and it's it it, it is um, it's a wonderful album, and and I uh, congratulations on <laughs> the nomination, which is which Thanks. is fantastic too. Um, uh, maybe you could tell us about this concerto. Yeah, so um, it's an A major Tartini. Like I said, his best friend was a cellist. In fact, when Tartini's wife died, he went and lived with Bandini until he died. And they both worked in Padova, Italy together. And um, when Tartini would travel around to play, um, his like backup band, his bass player was Vandini. And so he would, that's all you need is this one person to play your bass if you want to play sonatas or whatever. So Vandini is an important person in Tartini's life, and he himself wrote some music for cello, um, which I made the world premiere complete works recording um, a couple of years ago. And um, it's, I don't know if the listeners know much about Tartini, but he was born in the most east city um, near, he was born near Trieste, which is like on the border with Slovenia. And his hometown is actually in Slovenia now. And it's one of these like mixtures of culture, uh, are Italian and and Balkan or Slovenian, um, and so sometimes we get this colors of Eastern world there. So if you play the the second movement of this piece, there's a lot of expressive, um, otherworldly colors that I think you'll really like. This is such wonderful music, Eleanor. Mm -hmm. And you're playing as well. You know, I don't know why, but my brain went to a recording of Abarmadikh that was oh, yeah? done by Saban. Neat. And they had this amazing Arabic uh, rendition mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. Abarmadikh that featured I've some that. very I've Eastern yeah. uh, or, or, um, ornamentation. Mm -hmm. It's just a fantastic record. And this, this is wonderful to listen to. This is all, all the ornaments are written by Tartini. Wow. But I have to say that it's also my job to tr kind of figure out how to make them expressive so it's not simply just rhythmically correct or something. And I've been trying to go even farther than in the past year. I've been exploring even more than I did with this recording how to have the orchestra be somewhat steady with the tactus, with the heartbeat, 
and yet and be with them and have it feel like the listener can relax and not be like what's happening there's no pulse and yet not be always quite with them and be just slightly off slightly ahead slightly you know waiting and so true rubato which is moving within uh, a tempo and that's something I've been working on um, I'd probably take the rest of my life to master a- at all but um, I think this piece has a lot of potential for that yeah Oh, it's but it's a middle movement as well. So I mean, but that was incredible. <laughs> Congratulations! My pleasure. Um, now, you've you've mentioned searching some of your research that you do to try and find or track down some of this uh, this music, and especially because it is one of your goals to get a hold of of music that's lesser known. Uh, perhaps you could tell us how you go about doing that. Um, what is involved? Do you, do you spend a lot of time in Europe or, or, or where, where can you find these sorts of facsimiles or mm-hmm. these, these manuscripts from which you could um, you rediscover some of this music? Yeah, um, well, I really wouldn't want to spend an hour talking about my life in music without mentioning the name uh, Giuseppe Clemente Dallabaco, who is a composer and cellist that I've worked on the most of everybody. And... I really like his music. Um, in fact, he, he, we know that he wrote a concerto for five cellos, um, but it's lost. So that really is like my life dream to like find that. Um, <laughs> if I do, I'm going to call you guys and say, let's, let's play this. <laughs> um, but so I've done a lot of work on Dalabico's music, but also other composers. Um, let me explain that, you know, it takes a team that there's, there's a lot of people in the world interested in exploring early music and lesser-known music, and there are people interested in cello, like me, um, and some people are more musicologists, and some people are more editors, and some people are more performers, and I'm more of a performer who does some of uh, a bit of the other two. And so I work with other people um, to try to understand what is what needs a time and attention, and I also follow my instincts about what music I like. Um, so in the case of, for example, I just am about to have a new CD come out, a world premiere, the first CD dedicated to this composer um, named Jean Bauer, or Bauer, and um, how it happened is actually his, music, his cello music was published in 1751, 1756, and so we have this first edition or original publication and there's a bunch of French cello music published around this time that maybe people have read or like me have checked it out or it never gained too much popularity and then I found that a few of the sonatas were really really good totally worth 
um, performing. And um, he was a harpist. And so I played them with a harp just to kind of enjoy that new color. And when I did this, it was during the pandemic and it was I had this online concert series and I got such a response from my audience saying, I like this. When's the recording? Um, you know, wow, wow. So I thought, wow, people like it. So I also want to, you know, do what the audience loves. I want to give them what they want. <laughs> so I, I, you know, got to know a bit more about him and I applied for a research grant um, funded by the Canada Council, and I went to the Orpheus Institute in Belgium, and I spent some time kind of reading about um, sort of music in Paris and trying to understand how this music might have happened. Um, and then I got to learn some of the pieces and organized a recording, and I'm gonna, I made my own edition so that... Um, you know, sort of, I want other cellists after they hear the recording to say, oh, me too, I want to play that music. And since the original edition has a bunch of clefts that today's cellists don't love, you know, I can make it more palatable or easier to read. And that's, I, I also write an introduction and I correct some errors in the manuscript or in this publication. So those are the kinds of things, the efforts that I go to, to bring out the music to the world and say, I think this is worth the time of list of a listener, also other cellists. And, um, you know, if I do, let's say 10, 20 of these projects over a, a number of years, some of them are going to catch on and I'm going to really change the course of cello repertoire. Some of them might be a bit of a, well, that was nice, but didn't go very far. And I don't necessarily have control over that. I just keep putting my love and time into what I like and what I think is worthwhile. So that's kind of the process. And yeah. all of it will provide context in terms of, um, I think, how one can go about uh, having a, a historically informed approach to, to a contemporary career because mm -hmm. there aren't that many differences between uh, what historically informed performance uh, tries to achieve and what contemporary musicians are trying to achieve, yeah. especially with brand new music when potentially the, the composer might not be fully decided on, on exactly how... Um, to bring together a cello and a harp. And there aren't many uh, composers writing for piccolo cello and harp. <laughs> and, and, mm -hmm. and so if you if you have sort of projects like this that bring together combinations and inspire then other music making as well, even if it's not just more performance of the same repertoire, if it's um, uh, diversification and mm -hmm. sort of, uh, mm -hmm. I think, uh, referencing from this repertoire too, that also is, is fantastic. And, and the corrections, that sort of level of detail then provides younger cellists and 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 teachers too, um, with the support that they need to security. then approach the material in the security that they mm -hmm. might need. Yeah, and another thing that I like about playing a concert or doing a CD w of a composer that's not a household name is if the listener or the cellist or the continuo player or the conductor or the um, orchestra manager if they say whoa I like this and it touches me um then it it's like a tiny grain of sand in the built the you know in the, the large confidence building uh, they say I don't have to have somebody's stamp of approval already saying oh that's Beethoven's fifth symphony everybody knows I should like it they they start to think I like this and it's I don't know it, but it's okay if I like something that's not super famous. And that starts to be cumulative for the world. And then they say, okay, I'm going to go to this concert. I haven't heard of Baccarini that much, but I'm going to go anyway because I trust the group and 
I remember all these times I heard music that I had never heard before and I like it liked it or it moved me or it gave me something and I think that kind of flexibility and that openness is the kind of way of being in the world that we need more of and that's the same with a lot of other experiences with art in general contemporary art poetry conversation um yeah it's just it's my tiny little way of trying to influence a way of being in the world well i i again ambitious but at the (laughs) same time i mean i think uh, and i hope for a lot of our listeners that you're preaching to the converted already because because we we do love this but then it becomes a force also to be able to share these things because if they're not recorded it can become difficult um for people to especially during covid fly halfway around the world just for a a small concert but but the your what you're doing with your recordings is bringing this music uh to to a global audience which i i I mean i can't applaud you enough it's it's fantastic what you're doing i tried i also try to give it a high quality first premiere so like really great sound engineer beautiful hall uh great players you know it's one thing to kind of slop through a piece and say it's not very good but a lot of music that has been cast aside just wasn't given the true attention and quality uh, care and reading to make a beautiful interpretation so it takes effort so i can't do that with every composer i mean i have to pick and choose yeah. what really is special for me personally so yeah so uh, listeners you are going to be in for a real treat right now because we have an avant-première of some fantastic music that is yet to be released it has been recorded but it's uh, on the uh, pile of many recordings that eleanor is is currently producing and perhaps eleanor you could tell us what exactly we're going to hear so you'll hear the third movement which is an adagio from Sonata Opus 1, number 4 in G minor by Jean Bar, um, this French harpist composer. And this is for the Passacay label. It's a Belgian label that I record with. It's going to come out in June. And it's a recording of six pieces by Jean Bar. Three are cello sonatas, but there's also some other music. So it's called chamber music. Um, so yeah, this is my next recording. You're getting to hear it first. instrument are you playing in this recording Eleanor and who are you playing with who's the harpist sure. um, I'm playing my sort of full baroque cello which is a new instrument made in 2017 by Carl Dennis in um, Rhode Island which is in the US um, and it's like a really bro- fully baroque with like a baroque neck and everything um, and the instrument I'm playing um, for our concert in Australia is a more my classical kind of it's just more meant for later music Um, and the harpist is Antoine Melet-Chenier who's a 
fantastic young harpist in Montreal where I live, and he is, has the only original single action pedal harp from France in like North America. He has an original instrument that's perfect for this time period, and it's super cool. It's cooler than all my instruments, and it sounds amazing. And so um, I just tried to feature it a little bit on in this recording. Well, I can't wait to hear the the recording in full. This is fantastic music. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry, Eleanor, that we, we're running out of time already, but um, but uh, I, I, uh, we could talk like this for days, I think. True. Um, <laughs> maybe, uh, do you have any shout-outs, actually, ahead of Spanish Step starting and your, your opening night? Is there anyone in particular you wanted to shout-out to? Um, well, I'd just like to say a special thanks to... Paul, Ashley, Jake, Hugh, um, Neil, everyone at the orchestra. But this is really because um, I had a really hard week. My dad died a few days ago, and um, it was it was a really sudden kind of strange, horrible thing to happen right before my trip. And I can't tell you how kind and understanding you all were, and um, you're treating me so well and making me feel. Um, like a human being above all else and I just really appreciate it and I I love you all so much already so <laughs> um, the the concerts are just going to be the icing on the cake but the human side is you know really nourished my soul so thank you well that's very yeah. kind of you and and I'm glad this isn't a video recording because otherwise everyone would see me crying right now but <laughs> <laughs> okay well I can also um, shout out to my sisters who are and my mom and my dad's wife Roxy who are um going through a hard time too and we're all we're all missing my dad Charlie um but he knew I was coming here and um he knew that I was really excited about it and I think that's a great way to end my relationship with him is um, him knowing that I'm going on doing what I love and some of yeah. this beautiful bouncy charming Samatini yeah. you know <laughs> so a very joyful approach he to listened this to that too. he's heard it he yeah yeah. yeah. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you, Eleanor, and thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Have fun at the concert. <laughs> Experience Vivaldi like never before with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra in Vivaldi Unplugged. This April, the Brandenburg Orchestra and Choir bring two Baroque masterpieces, Vivaldi's Gloria and the Four Seasons, Roaring to Life. Period instruments and theatrical staging reveal the evocative lines and textures of this extraordinary music. Come share the Brandenburg energy. Book your tickets now at brandenburg.com.au.